Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined as always by... Esme Mulberry. We are watching our way through the 2005 release of Outsiders, the complete novel by Francis Ford Coppola. His reissue, an expanded version of his 1983 film, The Outsiders. But we're doing it five minutes at a, to- at a time in five-minute segments. So we have made it to minute 55. Today we'll be talking about minute 55 up to minute 60. Uh, but before we jump into the five minutes, Esme, can you remind us of what has happened recently in a little segment we call Previously on Stay Gold? So, in the last five minutes, we start out with a conversation between Ponyboy and Johnny. They talk about a lot of important things, like what are they going to do? They both cry for a while. It's kind of painful to watch. Um, then we get multiple shots of them uh, reading Gone with the Wind and discussing it. They talk about the idea of Gallant. Um and it ends with them standing, um, kind of silhouetted against a sunrise. Um, and Johnny is talking about how he finds it really beautiful, but is kind of struggling to put it into words. And then Pony Boy starts to recite the Robert Frost poem, um, Nothing Gold Can Stay. And we leave off right after he says the first line, which is, Nature's first green is gold. All right, so let's just jump right into it. So Ponyboy continues reciting the Frost poem um, while they stare at the sunrise and the instrumental version of Stay Gold is playing. Um, We cut to Ponyboy's face painted in the golden morning light. And he says, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today. Nothing gold can stay. Um, so he he recites this poem, and Johnny sort of looks on um, and asks him, "Where did you learn that?" He said, "That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he was trying to say." And then Pony Boy, you know, it, at one level, it's like Pony Boy kind of one ups him a little bit. Like Johnny's doing fine talking about um, yeah. the, the the sunrise and. You know, how he wishes that it could stay all that time. And then and then Ponyboy just whips out the uh, whips out the Robert Frost. Uh, and Ponyboy tells him it's a poem from Robert Frost that he always remembers because he didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Which is, I always think is a funny thing. It's like, that's, that's not really how memory works. It's not like, well, I never understood that poem. So it, so I remembered the whole thing. Yeah. Now it's not a long poem. So. It's not a long poem. And in the book, the line is a little different, and it makes a little bit more sense. I actually have the line written down. So when Johnny asks him, like, where did you learn that? That's what I meant. He responds with, Robert Frost wrote it. He meant more to it than I'm getting, though. I always remembered it because I never quite got what he meant by it. The end is the same as in the movie, but the added in part that says he meant more to it than I'm getting, though. I think makes a little bit more sense why mm-hmm. he remembered it. Well, I do. I do really like this scene. Um, and again, the the little extra wording in the book helps because there is one of those things where it's like, I think often in literature classes, especially poetry, like you'll study, you'll you'll read a poem and you'll be like, I kind of get what he's saying. And then when you encounter a natural phenomenon that speaks to that, the poem comes alive in a kind of way. So. 
we're watching that for Pony Boy. Yeah. Um, and I will also say, you know, I, my guess is in the 1960s, there was probably a lot more of English education that revolved around the memorization of poems or, yeah. you know, monologues from Shakespeare or things like that. So I, I would not be surprised that this is something that they were just like, Memorize this poem and recite it for us, and that's your assignment. Which I yeah. actually think is a, a fairly good, a fairly good way of learning, because mm-hmm. I think you learn the words, the meaning of the words to thing. First, you memorize the words, but then eventually those words stick with you, and you start to think about what they mean. So, yeah. I, I actually feel like we should do more of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so Pony Boy mentions this, and then Johnny says. Uh, that he never noticed colors and clouds and stuff until Pony Boy reminded him about them. So Johnny's sort of saying like, I think I, you know, it's how easy it is to go through life and not see things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're there, but not really, not really notice them or pay attention to them. And that Pony Boy is the kind of person who brings that out of Johnny because mm-hmm. Pony Boy. So this goes back to Cherry, you know, when she's describing Pony Boy as kind of dreamy. That's, I think, what he's what she's talking about a little bit too, right? Yeah. That his head might be in the clouds a little bit, and he's kind of taking things in, but maybe that also makes him at times a little absent-minded, which is the kind of thing that uh, makes his relationship with Dairy sometimes difficult because Dairy seems a lot more practical. Mm-hmm. Um, is is this is this different in the book in any um, other way? There is a little like con more of this conversation and it flows a little worse than in the movie. Um cuz doesn't he explain the meaning of the poem more here or No, it's not that. It's this weird thing of like they then kind of start the conversation of like Johnny's like, "Wow, that's exactly what I meant by." It. And then there's like this kind of weird moment of silence, and then they randomly start talking about like Pony Boy's family, and like how different kid, like how different kids relate to the parents. And then it somehow comes back to the conversation about the poem, where then he's like, "I could never talk to other people okay. about." And it's like a really weird jump to things. Um, so they cut it out in the movie, which I think makes sense because it feels weird in the book of like, that was really random. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So instead in the movie, they just sort of fast forward to Pony Boy saying that he couldn't talk with Steve or Tubit or even Derry about clouds or sunsets or things Mm -hmm. like that. He says to Johnny, it's just you and Pony, or excuse me, just you and Soda Pop. Um, and then he adds on and maybe Cherry Valance, Mm -hmm. um, which I like. I think he he probably says that in the book too. He right? does say that in yeah. the book, but that seems to harken back to uh, the fact that in the movie we didn't get to see all of their conversations. I feel like they have more, yeah, more of that kind of conversation in the book. Um, and again, you can assume in the movie that we didn't see everything they talked about. So, mm-hmm. so those kind of, you know, maybe that sunset sunrise conversation came up, um, but that she's somebody who he recognizes as kind of a kindred in terms of that. And Johnny says, I guess we're different, huh? And Pony says, maybe they are. Yeah. I like that. my favorite line. Why? Tell me why. I don't know. Like, it's just, 
I just really like that kind of idea of like maybe you're not the one who's different maybe other people are and like don't think that what you how you like see the world is different and not normal maybe it's other people's problem exactly exactly no it's like it's like you're not broken because you're this like kind of artsy person maybe the people who aren't that and who are just sort of going through life with just a practical lenses on maybe they're the ones mm-hmm. who are different they're the ones who are missing out and i think i think we should read the word different with the little potentially pejorative notion in there kind of a midwestern version of like oh that's different meaning like that's strange or weird yeah 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 so i i like that moment and then we see we go back to the wide silhouette shot and we see them walk back to the church and what i like is that Pony walks back and Johnny stays for a while looking at the sunrise. And eventually he goes, but he definitely keeps, you know, maybe two or three beats longer staring at the sunrise, thinking about what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like Johnny's maybe like awakening a little bit more to some Mm -hmm. of these things that is kind of the world that Pony lives in. Um, I will say this scene, when I watch it, I actually find it kind of painful but that's, I think, more because of the amount of times when reading this book in school we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And it does, like, it moves slowly because it is kind of this beautiful shot. And, like, he's saying this poem kind of slowly. But I know, like, when you have watched that, like, have read that part so many times, because mm-hmm. when we discussed it, we kept on going back to it. The scene actually becomes really like painful because it's going so slow. Sure. So I actually like really don't like this scene. Well, although I'm I, starting to yeah. come around to it. Can I add to that? Like, and I feel I will admit I feel bad saying this is like Howl's not always great. He's and he's, he's yeah. actually frequently like a little awkward and like I feel like somebody else. Maybe here's what it is. Mm-hmm. We are told by Cherry uh-huh. that Pony Boy is dreamy, mm-hmm. like a head in the clouds dreamer, an artist of a of a sort, right? Yeah. I don't know that C. Thomas Howell sells me on that. Yeah, he can recite the poem, but like I could imagine somebody else doing that and like selling me on this, and again. We keep talking about how Machio is 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 kind of blowing uh, Howl off the stage here. Like, like Machio is better in this scene too. I think. Yeah. You know? Now Howl has a lot more to do, and he's got to carry a lot of the weight. It's just, I just don't know that he's up to it. Yeah. And I feel bad. I feel bad saying that. I kind of wonder. Like, it's funny, and this is maybe one of the products of watching this movie in this way. I, I I'm wondering, like. If one of the things that hampered this movie is that, like, how, like, at the center of it is a performance that is, like, not as good as every other performance around it. If you had yeah. cast somebody else as, as Pony Boy who just could nail some of this stuff, I think this movie could be exceptional. Yeah. Because it's already really good. And I, so I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel bad because I also am like, well, I'm not an actor. I don't know. But it's just there's something about it that I don't read. Yeah. I don't read the dreaminess that we're told about. And and Ponyboy's a character in the book that I love. And yeah. I relate to. And it's like, it's just, it's just, I'm always struck by like, you're not quite it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, and this is this is one of the big Pony Boy scenes, and I feel like he's just not quite up to it. Yeah. Mm, I, I don't know. Do you want to defend yeah. C. Thomas Hall here? I feel like he deserves defense. I mean, in a weird way, it's like the character of Pony Boy. So much of his character is the stuff in his head. So it's. I think he is kind of a harder character than to act like that for because it's like what he actually says is so little of what there actually is and it's probably pretty hard to like convey all that emotion that's going on in his head but But actors do it actors do it but it's just like if you actually look at the character of pony boy and what he says and what he does like i guess kind of but yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel bad because I also don't have a way to fix it. I'm I'm trying to think of like, okay, in 1983, who would have been another young actor you could have, yeah, you could have put in here that that maybe could have sold this or pulled this off better. And and I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, the people coming to mind are people where I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure that they would be that they would be it either. But but I just wonder. I, I wonder if there is somebody else that maybe that maybe brings this connects this character to at least me a little bit a little yeah. bit more. All right, so um we'll we'll get off our bashing of C Thomas Howell cuz mm-hmm. it's I I also want to say it's gentle. We don't I just I just think I think he's good, but I just keep thinking, man, if you had somebody great here, what what, what might that have been like? Yeah. You know. Um so we fade to a shot panning across the church floor. Um, so now it's, it is daylight panning across the church floor. We see on the, the floor is littered with playing cards. There's some food. I think there's like a cracker. And yeah. There's like, um, and it took me a couple of viewings to realize that there's a rat eating the cracker, uh-huh. like, you know, um, there are empty soda bottles. We see gone with the wind and then we pan up and then we see pony and Johnny asleep in the church pews. Um, and all the while we hear a car, which is kind of like popping and backfiring, um, approaching the church. And we see a figure through the slats of the boarded up church windows and church door approach and walk around the door. Now, and this is, this is all one shot. This is a pretty yeah. great, like, a, like it's this, you kind of, it's one of those like one shots that you don't really notice as one because it moves, then it stops, then it moves again. And you sort of forget like, oh yeah, like. There could have been a cut here, but there hasn't been. This is a, this is a really, this is a nice, this is a, this is a really nice cut. And it, again, it gives you this sense of of space a little bit. You know where that car is. You know where this person is coming mm-hmm. from. Uh, so then we cut back to sleep, the sleeping pony boy, and we see the hands of Dally enter the frame and grab his hair and say, "Hey, Blondie, wake up." <laughs> um, and so, and then Johnny and Pony Boy. Um, both kind of wake up and they start to pepper Dally with questions. What I find kind of funny about this scene with them like sleeping on the pews is all the other shots of them sleeping, they're on the ground. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little funny to me that it took them this long to realize that they could sleep there. Well, here's the thing though. I'm, I don't know, maybe this isn't the case, but I'm, I always assumed this was the same day they got up and watched the sunrise. 
So I don't Maybe. think this was them sleeping from the night. I think they got up early. They were whatever. And then they were like, yeah, I'm just going to lie down here. Like they were maybe sitting on the benches and then they lied down and both fell asleep. Yeah. So that this may not have been there like this is where I'm sleeping for the night because. Mm -hmm. But I do just kind of. I would have slept on the pews. Yeah, I would have too. And it's weird that they don't because it's. The floor seems like a cement floor that seems really hard and the pews are wood. Like, why would they not just sleep on those? Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange to me. Yeah, um, well, we do see them sleeping pretty close together sometimes, and I wonder if there is yeah. like a warmth, a uh, warmth situation. So, um, so again, so Johnny and, and Pony Boy wake up. They start to pepper Dally with questions, and he says, "One thing at a time. Are you guys hungry?" So it's like they have all these questions, and then he's like, "No, no, no, one at a time." But actually, we're going to do my question first, which is, <laughs> "Are you hungry?" Um, which I like. This is this is Dally coming in and taking control of. The situation and taking control of the mo- of the movie. Um. So uh, Johnny says that of course they're hungry after four days of eating just bologna. Um, Johnny gives Dally a cigarette and Dally hands Pony Boy a letter. Um, and Pony asks who it's from and Dally says the President of the United States of America. Book line. Yeah. Okay. But he does a. In the movie, there's a little bit more where he's like, no, I'm serious. And yeah. it's a little bit more funny. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked book line is because it's one of those things where it's like, it's not funny. Like, it's definitely, this is the character making a joke, but it's not a funny joke. Yeah. So that 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 sniffed of Essie uh-huh. Hinton. It's a little Essie bit Hinton more of the just like, humor. Essie Hinton's just not funny. Yep. Which is okay. She's trying. That, that, that's okay. She's trying. Um, Dally tells him it's from Soda Pop. Uh, and he said, I, I told him I didn't know where you were, but he didn't believe me. Um, which I, I like that line because there's this sense of like, when Dally said, I don't know where you were, was it, he really said, I didn't know where you were. Or was it, I said that, but I hinted to soda, like, I know where they are. In the book, it's like a weird thing where he says that soda pop went to Buck Merrill's and found Ponyboy's sweatshirt. And then Dally's like, yeah, I don't know where they are. Okay. And that so in the book it's like Soda Pop figured it out. But Dally's still trying to say like no, I don't know where they are. And then they also say in the book that like Dairy still has no idea. Yeah, they would never tell Dairy. Yeah. Yeah, cuz Dairy would be there right now if mm-hmm. if he knew where they were. Um so then Pony starts to read the letter and we hear it in Soda Pop voiceover. Um, the letter talks about how sorry Derry is that he hit uh, he hit Pony, that Dally got hauled into the station. He wishes that they turned themselves in and that he says, I miss you and say hi to Johnny for us. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is interesting because Pony is reading this to himself. Yeah. And it's in Soda's voiceover. But it's almost like we see the other two characters s- sit and watch him read this. Yeah. There's even this – and I, I'm not even saying this is a criticism. I actually think this is good. That there is the, there's a great shot of Johnny mm-hmm. while Pony Boy's reading this, and it's it's Johnny seems agitated in a kind of way, both in terms of and I, I think there's a lot you can read into that. He's agitated because he's like he wants to get going, he wants to ask questions, but Pony Boy's reading this letter and he doesn't get to know what it is. And there's also this sense that like his folks didn't write him a letter, like he doesn't yeah. have any, there's nobody who cares for him. Mm-hmm. You know, so he seems, like, eager to get moving with the scene. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of like that, but he's so he's, yeah. he's giving Pony space to read the letter, but he's also eager to be like, let's 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 get moving on this. Also, like with that point of view, it's so much more painful in the book then, because like for one thing, the letter's like three times as long, like it's way longer in the book, and then it also says that Pony Boy sits there and reads it like three or four times, and you can just imagine Johnny watching him and just feeling really bad. Yeah, and yeah. Pony Boy not even knowing. So Johnny asks Dally, uh, "What's the deal with the cops?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pony asks why he got hauled in. Dally says that while he was at the station, the cops beat out of him that the two of them were headed for Texas. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, this idea that Dally like is kind of playing the game, playing a game with the cops. Yeah, it's like yeah, they brought me in and and I I w- was withholding information, but they finally got out of me this piece of information, and then it's not true information because Dally knows how to do this, right? He yeah, knows, he knows the routine. Um, so, uh, Dally comments again on Pony Boy's hair and Pony says, I know I look lousy, but don't rub it in. Uh, Dally asks again if he wants, uh, if they want to go eat something and Johnny says, you better believe it. Let's get out of here. So, yeah. um, so this is the, this is the first time in a while we're really getting out of this church. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a book reader, I remember being so excited for this because the Windricksville church stuff is pretty long in the book. Yeah. It's pretty long and yeah. it's kind of boring, um, but there is a lot of important conversation. But it's still like I want other characters. Um, yeah, the, it just—it's—I I wouldn't say it's boring as much as it—it's—it changes the nature of the way the story flows. Yeah, so it, it really does kind of slow down. It's a lot more talky. It's a lot in Pony Boy's head because they're just sitting up there, literally killing time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say with this scene. I, like, you know, I've said I read through and, like, compare lines. Pretty much none of this are book lines, but, like, it covers all the same ground. Like, it functions the same, but, like, they did not take this scene from the book. Except for the President of the United States of America. Yeah, except for that. You, you can't waste, you know, <laughs> A-plus material like and that. And then they even changed it a little bit and made it slightly more funny when he just keeps on going. He's like, no, I'm serious. Yeah. And then... Uh, so we cut from here to Dally driving a red convertible, tearing down the gravel road. Um, Dally mentions that it's Buck Merrill's car. Uh, Dally shows off uh, driving with no hands. We see, <laughs> we see him cut a guy off when he makes a quick left turn into the Dairy Queen. Dally orders three barbecue sandwiches, three Cokes, and then he continues to order, but they fade it out because he says... I'll have three barbecue sandwiches, uh, three cokes, and uh, and then they f- it fades out. So I'm curious, like, yeah, you can what else did of, he order? You can kind of hear him say something, but you can't tell what he says. Yeah. I also know in the book, it's like, I kind of like that they fed on the order because in the book, it's like way more food. They get a ton. They get a ton. And don't they go back and get more too? Or They might. Like, they get a lot. Yeah. Which, again, makes sense because these guys were just, were sitting up here. Eating the same stuff over and over. Yeah. Um, so uh, so then they pull into a parking space. Um, and Dally starts to kind of info dump to them a little bit now. So Dally says, uh, the kid that you killed had plenty of friends. It's all over town. Sosh against Greece. So you get the sense that there is this like burgeoning um, gang war about to happen. So we see Pony Boy shoveling his sandwich into his mouth. He's got barbecue sauce all around his mouth, all over his face. I kind of like this. I'm sure the direction 
for C. Thomas Howell was like, eat like you're a child who hasn't eaten in days. And just like, yeah, it's like he's trying to shove it into his mouth. And I find it actually very endearing because um, there is something that's like, uh, like a middle school, a middle schooler might still be young enough where they eat like that. You know, like a 13, yeah. 14 year, teen year old might not be so self-conscious, especially in a moment like that. So again, it's one of those, we're always looking for those moments that make them seem younger than they, than or seem as young as they actually are rather than making them seem like grownups yeah. and eating this sandwich definitely qualifies for that. Although like it's kind of disgusting. Oh, it's definitely it's, disgusting. It's hard to watch. Um, so Dally mentions that he's carrying uh, a heater, a gun, mm-hmm. and Pony Boy, like his ears prick up at this, and he says, "Dally, you kill people with heaters." So there's this sense of like, I mean, it's it's sort of the 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 code that we heard with Two Bit about like, well, if he doesn't have a blade, then then Tim Shepard won't, you know, that he'll fight fair. There is this sense of like, as long as you don't escalate, they don't escalate. Mm-hmm. But if you bring a gun you're now escalating and then this yeah. is this is going to turn into something different than you know people getting together and and punching each other or things like that like this is where people people are people are going to die mhm oh like in the book he talks a little bit more and he's like he, he doesn't say like I wouldn't use it but he's kind of like I just use it for like a bluff like it helps mm-hmm. in those cases like you would not actually try to hurt someone with this and then he says both in the movie and in the book, it's not loaded. Yeah, so we see him showing them the gun, and he says, don't worry, it's not loaded. And as he's showing them the gun, so they're in a convertible in a parking lot in a Dairy Queen. Um, From behind them, we see two kids uh, walk up to the car, and Dally panics and hides the gun quickly. Uh, And the little girl, who is played by Francis Ford Coppola's daughter, Sophia Coppola, Asks if, asks if Dally has 15 cents, and he says, no. And she's like, well, do you have a dime? <laughs> He's like, no, no, get out of here. Um, and uh, once she finally leaves, Dally kind of looks around and says, that was a close call, right? That yeah. I think if she had walked up and seen him holding holding like a, a handgun, that that would have been, been a dangerous situation. Yeah. So that ends our five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um it's really nice to have Dally Winston back. Mm-hmm. He feels like a like a shot of of energy into the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and now it feels like the movie's moving forward too. Like it does feel like in the book is the same way. Like Windricksville is this thing where the forward momentum by necessity slows down because they're just hiding out. Yeah. Um. So if you think about comparing this to the book, are there other things that, um that you notice in the book that's either different or missing? Um, mainly it's the conversation he has, like Dally has when he first comes to the church is like, again, like it's none of it's really word for word, except for the president of the United States line. Um, the letter pony boy gets is like really different. There's like information that's not said. Cause Dally also says when he gives them a letter that like, Soda Pop also sent half of his paycheck with it. Like, there's other elements in that that are, like, kind of important that then they don't have. Um, There's a lot more in that scene, too, of both in Soda Pop's letter and Dally telling Ponyboy that, like, Derry's really upset about what's happening. Um, 
So it like functionally covers the same ground, but there's a lot of other stuff that sure. isn't said that's like kind of important. In in this in the letter in the book, do they mention the soda pop write about his girlfriend? No. So she's not in that part. Okay. Yeah, she's that's not until way later. Okay. And also isn't really in the movie. Right. Well that's what I was yeah. I was wondering like, okay, what makes that letter so long? And I was trying to remember if there was Yeah, there's not that stuff in there. Okay. Okay. So if you were to um, score this five minutes on a scale of zero to ten in terms of its fidelity to the book, um, what would you say? I'd probably give it like a six because like nothing except like also in the book, like the little girl doesn't come up and there's not that old conversation. That's the only thing that like really changes plot wise. And then it's just like and maybe the Dairy Queen order. Yeah, and maybe the maybe the Dairy Queen order. Um, and then it's just like some parts in conversation are left out, and it changes how it feels. And they're kind of parts that are a little bit important. So I'd probably give it like a six because what needs to be covered in the book gets covered in the movie just in different ways. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense. Uh, can we do a little deep dive? Yeah. So I want to do a deep dive on that little girl, Sofia Coppola, because as um, as I've said before, I'm always looking for Oscar winners in this movie or attached to this movie. Uh, and Sofia Coppola fits the bill. So she's born May 14th, 1971 in New York City to Francis and Eleanor Coppola. So she's the, the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, she makes her screen debut in 1972's Best Picture winner, The Godfather, playing the infant Michael Francis Rizzi at the famous christening scene. So, Esme, you haven't seen The Godfather yet, but there's a very mm-hmm. famous baptism scene that happens uh, in The Godfather, and she is the little baby in that scene. So mm. she is prominently on screen in 1972's Best Picture. Uh, in 1974, she has a small part as a girl on a boat, I think like a in one of the immigration scenes in the Best Picture winner, The Godfather Part Two. So she has a, a part in that, uh, a role in that film as well. Uh, She continues to have small roles in her father's films throughout the 1980s, so The Outsiders and Rumblefish in 1983, 1984's The Cotton Club, 1986 Peggy Sue Got Married, she has a little bit bigger role, Tucker, A Man of His Dream in 1988. Then in 1989, she's given a fairly major role of Mary Corleone in The Godfather Part 3. I guess I need to say here that many critics sort of mark her performance as one of the big problems with the film. Um, they, I think they had tried to get, I think it's Winona Ryder is who they were hoping to get to play that role. Mm. And then they didn't. And Coppola cast his daughter and, um, maybe not the high, the high point of Sofia Coppola's career. Um, so in, uh, in 1999, Coppola begins her career as a writer director. It's with her first feature film, The Virgin Suicides. Her 2003 follow-up, Lost in Translation, is nominated for four Oscars, including Best Actor, Best Picture, Best Director, Coppola, Best Screenplay, Coppola, uh, and she ends up winning an Oscar for Best Screenplay. So that little girl who asked for 15 cents, 10 cents, um, is an is an Oscar an, an Oscar winning uh, screenwriter, and I, and an Oscar nominated director. Her 2006 film, Marie Antoinette is nominated for the Palme d'Or at the uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Her 2010 film, Somewhere, wins the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is the highest award at the Venice Film Festival. She becomes the first American woman and only the fourth American ever to win the Golden Lion. 
2017, her film The Beguiled is nominated for the Palme d'Or, and she wins Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival, becoming only the second woman in the history of the festival to win that award. So um, she's still relatively young. I think she's 51 years old as of right now. Um, and she's written and directed seven feature films. So uh, one of the one of the very successful, interesting filmmakers in Hollywood right now uh, is Sofia Coppola, the, uh, the the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola, and you know appears in this uh, this little role. The, the Coppolas are this like this uh, filmmaking dynasty. There's lots of Francis's, uh, his kids, his nephews, his sister, all like they're and his father. Mm-hmm. They're all in. Uh, in this industry. So um, we'll have one other Coppola who shows up later, mm-hmm. uh, uh, later in a very small role in this, uh, in this movie. Uh, so let's get down to who won the five uh, possible nominees include Ralph Macchio as Johnny Cade, C. Thomas Howell as pony boy Curtis. Uh, we get Matt Dillon as Dally Winston, who shows up and plays a big role here. Uh, I just threw Sofia Coppola in there just for fun. <laughs> Um, and then Robert Frost, because, I mean, we, we get an entire Robert Frost poem um, basically in this five minutes and a little discussion about what Robert Frost is up to. So I thought he seems worthy of um, worthy of getting at least nominated here. Anyone else that you would add? Who do you think wins the five? Mm, there's no one else I would add. I'm leaning towards Matt Dillon just because, like, I don't know. Like he's a, he's the most interesting person to watch. He has some good acting moments, and like it is kind of a thing of when he's there, the other characters just kind of fade into the background mm-hmm. a little bit. He injects life into the movie for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, I thought there were really only two real nominees. We talked about Howell and how he's definitely not there. And Machio is fine. Yeah, he has some good But moments. But I actually think the two nominees are either Dylan or Robert Frost. I mean, I think, like, if you wanted to tell me in the same way, like, Elvis wins some of these awards, if you wanted to tell me Robert Frost's poem is at the center of like a major scene in this film, I would say, okay, I would be willing to give that. But actually I'm with you if you want to go with Matt Dillon, because I do think the, uh, it's like the chemistry of the movie fundamentally changes once he shows up and the movie takes on a kind of propulsion that it doesn't have mm-hmm. when they're sitting around killing time. Yeah. So we go to Matt Dillon. Yeah, I think three time so. winner of the five, Matt <laughs> Dillon, um, our second three time winner along with Ralph Macchio. So, um, so there, there's so far as we've, as we cross the one hour mark of this, uh, of this movie, they are leading the way in terms of, uh, in terms of winning this movie. Um, if you agree with us that, uh, Matt Dillon is, uh, the lifeblood blood of this five <laughs> minutes, uh, email us channel 300 at gmail.com. If you disagree, if you think we are wrong about C. Thomas Howell, if you think he's great in this five <laughs> minutes, if you think he's great in this movie, in all seriousness, I want to hear it because, like, there is something about him that just doesn't click with me, doesn't connect with me, um, where I feel like a lot of the other people, I, I, I feel that kind of connection. So email us if you feel that way. Email us if you think Robert Frost should win the five. Email us if you think Sofia Coppola should win the five. Mm-hmm. Channel 300 at gmail.com. That is all the time that we have. We will be back next week to talk about minute 60 to minute 65. Until then, stay gold.